Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Almeida, for bringing that over for me. Hey, I'm one of those people, aforementioned, that's been struggling with a cold. So uh, I'm going to sit down this week. Not only have I been struggling with a cold, but I spent half the day out in the 99-degree heat on Friday. And again, yesterday, because that's what you do when you have a cold, right? Go spend time in hot weather. So I'm going to sit today, be a little better. Uh, so glad you came. I'm grateful that you chose to come to this church. I know there's lots of churches you could go to. In Boise, and lots of churches you could even watch online. Just really grateful you came to this one, so thanks for doing that. I want to remind you, you can always find our past messages, our services. You can find it on our podcast, which you can find on Spotify or Apple Music or uh, Google Play Store, any of those things. You can find them there. Or if you have YouTube, you can type in Engage Boise. You can find us there. Um, if you are someone who uses YouTube, I've never mentioned this before, I don't think, if you have never subscribed there, it would be really helpful if you did, because if we get to 100 subscribers, we can have our own URL. So it would say youtube.com slash Boise. It's really easy to give to people. Right now, it's a bunch of gobbledygook, and so we couldn't say it to you. But uh, if you want to, go subscribe there. If you're watching online and you've never done that, go ahead and subscribe. It would be great. If you're new or I've never met you, I love to say hello afterwards. I'm kind of new as well, so sometimes people will show up I've never met. Victoria, it's good to see you. You're not new, but it's because Victoria's been on a mission trip. Let's call you out, embarrass you in front of everyone. It's good. It's all good. We believe at this church that when it comes to family, that if we love on the family, we can change the world. We can change the world. Even if you don't have a family that you can call on, or if you haven't started one yet, I want you to know you have one here. Like, that's what the church is, is a family. No matter how small, or how to, no matter how big the church is, a family. We believe that we're called, right? We're called to Christ, to accept him, to know him, to live like he lived when he was on the earth. We're called to worship in spirit and in truth. So grateful for a church that worships in spirit every Sunday, every Wednesday. Uh, and we're called to serve. We know that Jesus tells us in John 13, 35, the world will know you by your love if you're disciples of Christ. And we're called to serve as he served. Really cool thing. I would love to tell you about, excited to tell you about, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we uh, had a missionary here, uh, Jonathan and Sarah Strong. Uh, they're getting ready to go to Nepal, a uh, young couple. Uh, they're awesome people, took them to lunch afterwards, and we as a church, we had a board meeting this last week, and we decided to support them on a monthly basis. So you'll see a little frame go up out there with their picture on it, reminds you to pray for them. If you'd like to give to help us do that, you can begin giving to them. Just mark it on your envelope, notate it as you usually do. Uh, we've committed to support them a certain amount a month, but if one of you comes and, and finds us and wants to support them as well, then we'll up that amount. But just awesome to be a part of a church because we all can't go to Nepal, right? But we can send people to Nepal, right? We all can't go. To, we've got missionaries in Germany and uh, all Malawi, all kinds of good places. And we all can't go, but we sure can send people. So we encourage you to be a part of it. Just thankful to be a part of a church that does that kind of stuff. Uh, today, we're continuing Ephesians chapter 5. You can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. Uh, since partway through chapter 4, it's been centering around this idea of light, which is why we've been watching this video called Glow, the beginning of every, every message. This idea of the light, how we walk in the light. And if we walk in that light, that light means that we are also walking in the truth, telling the truth in everything we do. That light means that we walk in love, which is what we talked about last week. Last week, we started to talk really honestly about what Ephesians tells us to do. 
how we are to imitate God as a child imitates their father. I gave you some examples of how my kids imitate me, not because I tell them to, just because I'm their dad. I was thinking about it, actually, and I was telling you how my son, John, I came in, and he was watching baseball, and I heard him say, nasty, from the other room. I didn't ever explain that. If you don't watch baseball, that's a good thing. Like, they throw a pitch, and it goes a certain way. If the announcer says it's nasty, that's a good thing. I was thinking about it. I didn't really explain it. We're to imitate God as God imitates, or as a child imitates their father. We're to love as Jesus loved. Now, literally, Jesus gave his flesh and his blood life for us, right? But we can't do that. My physical life can't save anyone. Even if I decided I want to give my life for someone so they can go to heaven, I can't do that. I can't be the sinless sacrifice like Jesus was. But we can, and this is what we talked mostly about last week, we can sacrificially live in a way that's different than everyone around us. We can live different in our morality. We can live different in our outright rejection of the darkness. And this morning is a bit of a continuation of that that second thing that we talked about, rejecting the darkness. Because it's all well and good to say that we should do that. That sounds really good in church, right? We should reject the darkness. But we've still got to answer the question, how do you do it? How do you reject the darkness in a world that sometimes can seem really dark? What I believe these 10 verses that we're going to read here in a moment are asking us to do is commit something to God, and that is to say what you see on the screen there. I will follow. How many of you know that when you're doing something that might seem dangerous, it's really nice to have somebody or something to follow? It's really nice. Uh, Anyone here experienced driving in thick fog? I mean, if you live here, right, you've driven in the fog. Uh, I think I mentioned before, went to school in Seattle and uh, driven that drive probably close to 100 times around trip. I don't know why I drove it so many times, but I counted it up one time. I've driven it a ton of times. In the wintertime, boy, it can get really foggy between here and there. If you've ever driven it right, you know, you go into Oregon, and you go uh, up Lad Canyon, you go down another Grand, and then you go up Meacham on the other side, right? And it's kind of like here where those things will just get super-duper socked in, be really, really foggy. And we get, we get serious fog here. And those drives between Seattle and here, that's 500 miles when I was in college, you know, had this little blazer, and I was always bringing people back and forth with me. And uh, I drove in on some of those times when it was incredibly foggy. And I'm sure all of you can relate to this. Some of those times when it's so foggy that you can't really even see anything except maybe one, one dash on the road, right? And around here, it's okay sometimes because there's lights on the road. But you get out there on those freeways sometimes in the middle of Oregon, and uh, it's desolate, and there's nobody out there, and it's icy and windy and cold, and that, that fog socks that thing in, and you cannot see anything. So you're going 20 miles an hour. This is what I do, right? If I'm, if I'm driving, I'm going 20 miles an hour with the hazards on so someone, no one smashes into the back of you, you know, looking at that line, just hoping and praying you can make it through uh, to a part that's not quite so foggy. And I remember this one time, probably the foggiest time I'd ever driven this. I don't remember if it was on the Lad Canyon side or the Meacham side, but... Uh, just white knuckle on it. Everyone in the car is quiet because they can tell it's dangerous. And someone comes up behind me. They, they come up behind me kind of fast, and they're like tailgating me, acting. You know how you do when you want someone to speed up, right? We've all done it before. They're doing that thing where they want me to speed up. And I'm thinking, man, I'm not going any faster than this. Finally, this guy blows by me, gets about 100 feet in front of me, slams on his brakes, pulls over, lets me go. Guy gets out behind me again. 
What he realized is that in the fog, he would much rather have some taillights to follow than be the one in front. And when it's really foggy, like life seems sometimes, man, it's really nice to have some bright taillights in front of you. And that's what we're doing when we follow what Ephesians 5 says. We're saying, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to lock in on what's in front of me. Wherever you lead me, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to resist the urge to pass you up and try and shine it on my own. Trying to reject the darkness when it seems like that's all that surround us, surrounds us, it can be difficult. But what God asks of us to do simply in our heart is to say, okay, God, I'll follow you. I've got a few things that I believe happen when we decide to say with our lives, God, I will follow. Let's go ahead and read together uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 through 20. I'm reading out of the NIV. Uh, verse 11 Starting there, it says this, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the first thing we've got to do, if we're going to say with our very lives, I will follow, is we have to walk the other way. Sounds really simple, but we've got to walk the other way. You see, the question becomes, if we are going to reject the darkness, what is it that we are going to do instead? We touched on it earlier. We'll remember what we talked about last week. There's this distinction that Paul makes about us once we have accepted Christ. Remember that in verse 8, he didn't say that we are in the light. What did he say? He said we are the light. Once we were darkness, but now we are the light. And for someone who is endeavoring to leave a life of sin, maybe you're someone here who's been struggling with a specific sin for maybe your entire life. We've got to understand this really basic principle that every step toward Christ is a step away from our old life. Just understand the practicality of it, okay? I'm going to stand up here for a second. Remember, so pretend this, this wall over here is, is my old life, right? And I decide I, I'm going to leave this old life, okay? So I go this way, and I take one step. I'm not only taking one step towards the new life, I'm taking a step away from the old one. So every step I take is double the amount, right? It's not one step. It's two steps. When you walk towards something else and away from the old life, you can make progress pretty quickly. One step forward has double the effect. Concrete example, right? If alcohol was an issue for someone, grateful, that's a thing I've, I've never had an issue with in my life. But if alcohol was an issue for someone, and say I've heard this from many, many people, that uh, they struggle with alcohol. It wasn't hard to kick the alcohol, but the fellowship they found in the bar was pretty hard to leave. And taking a step directly away from it would be stepping into fellowship in a place like this. 
You leave the bar behind you, and you walk into a church where there's also fellowship, but no alcohol. You see, the first thing we've got to do if we're going to say, I will follow, is we have to take a 180-degree turn, and we have to start walking day by day in the other direction. Every single morning, one step in front of the other. Take concrete steps away from our past. Walk with purpose into something new. I think we touched on this a few weeks ago. You know what? If you decide you're going to leave something behind, but you don't walk towards anything else, you're, you're destined to go back to where you were before. Got to walk with purpose into something new. And here's where verse 11 that we just read comes in. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. At first glance, this seems kind of like this pious statement by Paul, right? Have nothing to do with those who are not like you. But we have to take into account what he said before, that now we're not just in the light, now we are the light. And if the light is living and breathing and moving, then the light's going to illuminate everything around it as it moves. The brighter it gets, the more it illuminates. It can't help but do that just because that's what light does. I have this flashlight here I got for a present once. Pretty bright in here, but you still see the light on the walls, right? And so this light, once this thing is turned on, this is the only thing it knows how to do. Right? No matter where I go, no matter where I shine this thing, if I get back here where it's dark, you can really see it. Right? No matter where I go, because I am the light, I have the light in my hand, because I am the light, this light, you're going to be able to see it. Because I am the light, the light goes wherever I go. In the light, in the dark, in the in-between over here, this is the in-between section, I'm just joking. If we are the light... It just goes where we are. It can't help but do that because that's just what light does. You see, this verse, I think, can be misinterpreted a few different ways. This have nothing to do with. It can be taken to mean that we should never be around unbelievers, and I don't think that's true at all. But I would submit to you this morning that the best way for the light to overcome the darkness is just simply to shine upon it. I would say this, however, that in this world, you don't have to look very far to find darkness to shine on. Man, it's right outside your door. You need only to be the light and just allow God to take you where he wants to take you. Remember, you are the light. Now, that doesn't mean that every place is fine for us to be, right? You'll run into people who say, well, you know, uh, the, Paul says that I can do uh, whatever I feel like doing. We'll talk about this here in a minute. But being the light, by definition, it means that we will expose the darkness. When you become the light, you expose the darkness just by being who you are. Now, God, of course, sends specific people to specific places. The missionaries we support, like the Strongs, the Bridgewaters, the McCullers, God sends them to dark places, and I'm so thankful that he does. But here's the key. God is not sending them to tell others how terrible they are. He's not sending the strongs to Nepal, so they'll go to Nepal and say, all of you people, you 99.9% who don't know the Lord, you're awful people. He's sending them to be the light. And in doing so, they're going to expose the darkness. Jonathan talks about, talked about how he's an accounting guy. He's going to go there and do some kind of accounting, and he's going to expose the darkness simply by serving the Lord where he is. 
And God has done the same with each one of us. He sent you to your workplace or to your school or maybe even in your family. And God asks only that you walk the other way from where you were before. He asks only that you turn 180 degrees, you turn your back to what you were before, to the old you, and you walk towards him. And in doing so, you become the light and you expose the darkness. Paul gives us this really key piece uh, of advice as Christians in this next verse. Uh, and this is uh, kind of a tricky one to talk about. People don't like hearing this. It says this, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. It's a principle that most of us just naturally know. But when we continually talk about sin, it gives breath to something that God has already put to death. It gives breath to something God has already put to death. And I think where this really uh, uh, rears its head in our society is in the stuff we watch and we listen to. And the stuff that we watch and we listen to, uh, some of it is shameful to mention. I, I kind of camped on this last week a little bit. Sometimes you just got to turn it off. Because God asks us to be different in our morality, right? To look different than the world. Remember, the old has gone, the new has come. The only way the old is brought up is if we bring it up. Remember what my favorite psalm says, uh, he throws our sins away as far as the east is from the west. What that means, man, is so far that they cannot even be found unless we bring them up again. I think this, uh, where this manifests, manifests itself for us is in glorifying or making light of sin. Oftentimes, it's what differentiates us between what we do and what we don't do, or what we do and don't talk about, or what we do and don't joke about. And if you're someone who's trying to make a big change from an old life, refusing to give breath to that old life is a key component of beginning to turn and walk the other way. Ironically, though, refusing to dwell on the old life, not giving it any breath, that's the very thing that exposes the darkness for what, for what it is. Read what verse 13 says. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So we become a light. We choose to have nothing to do with the darkness. We walk the other way. We don't even mention it. We give it no breath in our life. And when we do that, we begin as the light to bring destruction on the very darkness we just left. Simply by being the light, not giving the darkness any breath in our life. And I love what happens in verse 14. You can see in your Bible there, we sing a song. Often these songs that we see in the New Testament, they're direct quotations from Scripture. But this one actually isn't. Uh, what it is, it's a song about resurrection or baptism. They would have sung, sung this when people accepted the Lord or when they were baptized in water. Verse 14, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. In other words, what they do is they come to a place just like this, and they do what we just did. They sing songs, and they celebrate together. Because worshiping in song together, placing honor, adoration on God completely, it's a vital part of becoming the light. Coming here and celebrating with other Christians, it's a vital part of becoming the light. It's a vital part of walking the other way. You're going to walk away from something old. You've got to walk into something new. And to that end, I would just encourage you, urge you, and 
Consequently, or, or ironically, we talked about this Wednesday night, I would urge you not to miss a chance to gather with God's people. Every time we get together, man, it cranks the brightness up inside of you. It's like you slide down from the top on your phone and you crank that light bulb up all the way to where it burns your eyes out because it's so bright. Every time we gather together, we sing together, we celebrate together, it cranks the brightness up inside of us. And we walk out of this place and we're a blinding light to the darkness. That brightness that enables us to walk the other way with conviction, it enables us to push the darkness back with each step. Next thing we see uh, is that if we're going to follow, we must pursue wisdom. We talked about how we're walking away from our past. Now we're, we're moving into what it is actually that we are pursuing. If you've got your Bibles open, let's read verses 15 to 17 once more. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, verse 15, it starts six verses of just direct instruction about how to go ahead and do what chapter 5 has been telling us. It's just saying, here, guys, this is how you do it. This is how you become the light and you push back the darkness. We're to be careful about how we live. That's what it says right here. Be careful about how you live. And the way to do that is by pursuing wisdom, is what it says right here. Now, wisdom, again, that's kind of this philosophical term. It's important to make a distinction here between wisdom and intelligence, because wisdom and intelligence are not the same thing. Now, uh, as is often the case, I think I can explain this by talking about dogs. Having dog people in the place? A few dog people? Good, good. I've talked to you about uh, Rudy. I don't know if I've told you his name. We have this Border Collie lab mix named Rudy. Our boys just love Rudy. He's got a bed in their room that they've made him with a dog bed and a pillow and a blanket and all kinds of things. This dog, a little too smart for his own good. I've told you how he can open round doorknobs with his teeth. Uh, He's figured out how to open the refrigerator that's in the garage with his nose just to see if there's anything in there. Uh, And Rudy, he kind of illustrated for me this week the difference between intelligence and wisdom. Very intelligent dog. Now, Rudy, this is unusual for a dog. He really likes candy. And he really likes specific candy. He likes those gold coins that are wrapped in foil. All the other candy he doesn't really like, but he likes these gold coins that are wrapped in foil. And my wife likes candy. The boys like candy. So we've got, got a bucket of candy, you know, out on the counter. I'm not a big candy person, but uh, we've got candy out there. And uh, this week I was home. Uh, someone was working on one of our cars. They came to the house to work on it. And um, this big bucket of candy was was on the counter, and Rudy was inside with me for quite a while. Now, here's what he did. I, I was inside with him for a couple hours. He just laid there peacefully. I went outside to talk to this guy who was working on the Prius. I was out there probably 15 minutes. Come in. The whole b- bucket of candy is on the ground. He's rooted through the entire thing, opened the three gold coins, left the wrapper, and eaten the chocolate out of them. He knocks down the candy bucket. He gets only the chocolate coins. He's smart enough to do that. He has the intelligence to do that. But he has the wisdom to wait until I'm outside. Because <laughs> he knows if he gets over by that counter, I've never actually seen him do it because he's, he's too smart to do it while I'm in the room, right? He must get his paws up there and just knock the whole thing down. I'm not sure what he does. 
He's got the intelligence to be able to root through there, get the three coins that he wants. But he's got the wisdom to wait until I'm outside. Now, you've probably met people, as have I. Man, they might be the smartest person in the room, but wisdom is something they lack. They might be able to ace every test, sound smart in every conversation, but wisdom is something they lack. The good news is that, according to the Bible, and I love this, I've so, been so glad to discover this in my life, wisdom is something that you can find. You're gifted with the intelligence you have, and you can work on it, and you can hone it, but you can't make yourself any more intelligent than, you, than God has made you. But wisdom is something you can find. Let me prove it to you, Proverbs 2.6. This is the NLT that I'm reading you. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom is something you can find. If you don't have it and you want to have it, wisdom is something you can find. We can spend weeks talking about wisdom. In fact, there's this whole section of the Bible that's often referred to as wisdom literature. We're going to spend some time there on Wednesday nights in the fall, I think. But quickly, I have for you, according to Scripture, three specific ways that we can gain wisdom. As humans on this earth, three specific ways that we can gain wisdom. First one is this, we spend time with others who are wise. We spend time with others who are wise. And here's how I know, Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Man, it is so valuable for us to find people who have more wisdom than we do and just soak it in. Man, it's so valuable. I tell you something that's been so valuable to me in my first year as a lead pastor here at Engage is to buy lunch or coffee for every guy, girl who's pastored a church for longer than I have and just like go hear from them. Go have lunch with them and hear their wisdom. Man, it is so valuable. You can find wisdom by spending time with other people who are wise. Second thing we can do is we can ask God for it. You can just straight up ask God for wisdom. That's what Solomon does, right? Solomon in the Old Testament, he has everything he could ever want. And the one thing he wants more of, he asks God for, is more wisdom and more understanding. We just read Proverbs 2, 6 a minute ago, and that's a really famous verse when it comes to that. But there's this New Testament scripture that goes right along with it. You can write this down, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Man, if you lack wisdom, you ask God, and not it might be given to you, it will be given to you. I found that uh, asking God for wisdom is a little like maintaining your car. You don't realize how big a difference it makes until you do it. I know I'm not the only one, you know, who has a car with the oil change sticker up there, although uh, the guys at the oil change place made a mistake on our truck. Um, it only has 130,000 miles on it, and they put that it needs an oil change at 233,000 miles on it, so have 133,000 miles to go, I guess. But I found, right, you, you've done the same thing as I do. You try and stretch that oil, that oil change, and you think it's fine, and you finally go and get that thing done, you get in the car, and you turn it on, and it sounds so smooth and nice, and you're like, oh, man, that's why I do this. And for some reason, we do that when it comes to asking God for wisdom. We just continually try and do life on our own. We wake up and we try and slog through it every day. We forget to ask God for the wisdom that he promises us he'll give us. 
And we don't realize how big a difference it makes until we do it. Don't realize how big a difference it makes until you do it. The third thing, and this is the most obvious, but we place our hope in Jesus. You can find wisdom by placing your hope in Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is in Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to have wisdom? You want to have knowledge? Guess what? They're hidden in Jesus. That's what it says right here in Colossians. You see, wisdom is something that can be found, but it can only be found if we're willing to pursue it. You're not going to find wisdom just by sitting around waiting. And I love this. When, when we pursue wisdom, it sharpens our ability to follow. The more wise we get, the better we are at following. It enables us to do what verse, verse 16 says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I think we can all say amen to that. The days are evil. You see, Paul believed that they were living in the last days before the return of Jesus. They believed that in the New Testament, that after Jesus had gone to heaven, that he was coming back any day for them. He believed they were living in the last days, just like we believe we are living in the last days. And I believe he's got this twofold meaning when it says, when he says the days are evil. First, as we've already established, darkness and sin are all around. The days were evil back then, just as they are now. And sin fills the days of those who don't know Christ. If you don't know Christ, days are full of sin. But second, the days are also evil because they're just relentlessly counting down. There's nothing any of us can do to stop the days from counting down, to stop time from counting down. It's like there's there's this mysterious timer flipping numbers at each moment. Anybody ever watched the TV show Lost? Dating myself. If you remember, there was a random timer in there that just, they, they got stuck in this bunker and there was a timer. They didn't know what the timer was to, but it just counted down numbers. Just kind of like that, right? There's this timer, but this timer has only question marks because we don't know the day or the hour. It's another reason the days are evil because they are counting down, friends, and we don't know when our last one is. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know how long is on this earth. And we pursue wisdom so that we can make the most of every opportunity. Because evil is all around us and the days could be short. Pursuing wisdom is one of our best weapons against the tide of darkness. One of our best weapons against that timer full of question marks. And pursuing wisdom, I believe, it helps us live the same no matter what. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that we don't know when God is gonna, when Jesus is gonna come back and when we're gonna die. Because if we knew, our human nature would take over and we would tend to just skate through till the very last minute. But pursuing wisdom helps us live the same no matter what. Pursuing wisdom helps us live the same whether Jesus is coming back tomorrow or whether it's 100 years from now. And this next verse holds such an important concept for us as Christians to, gap, to grasp. You see, we're told not to be foolish. That's the practical part. And the opposite of foolishness is understanding the Lord's will. The opposite of being foolish is understanding what God is saying. I believe this means understanding, uh, for one, that God's desire is for everybody to know him. We need to understand that God's hope 
is for everybody to know him. But also that if we're going to reject foolishness, pursue wisdom, that we have to look to find God's individual will for our lives. If you're here, you should know God has a will and a plan for your life. Romans 12, 2, I believe, is just so formative for me when it comes to how we do this. I remember, because uh, my whole life I'd always had quoted to me, you know, uh, God will give you wisdom and understanding. God will give you the desires of your heart. Um, he'll reveal his plan to you. But I remember when I read Romans 12 to you, it kind of hit me like a lightning bolt. Because here's how we find out his will for our life. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Man, so if you want to know what God's will is for your life, here's the thing you have to do. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. You want to know what's good and pleasing and perfect? Stop conforming to the pattern of this world. This dovetails so beautifully with what Paul is saying here in Ephesians. That is, when we pursue wisdom, we can begin to find God's will for our lives. We don't have to worry about the individual pieces. We just pursue wisdom, and we allow God to put the pieces in place where he wants to. And notice, man, that's so stark to me that the way we do it is by not copying the behaviors of this world. It's another way of saying we go ahead and become the light. When we become the light, we pursue wisdom. You see, if we're going to follow, then we have to pursue wisdom. Finally, if we're going to say to God, God, I will follow, number three, we must let the Spirit guide us. Let's read these uh, final three verses together. This is verses uh, 18 through 20. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I find it really interesting uh, that Paul, I'm going to step on some people's toes right now, sorry. Uh, I find it so interesting that at this point, Paul could go and he could call out any type of behavior he wants to. He's laid it out for us. Hey, you got to reject the darkness. you got to pursue wisdom. And now he could call out any type of behavior he wants. And before he goes on to talk about allowing the Spirit to guide us, he chooses to call out precisely one thing. Don't shoot the messenger. He calls out one thing, being drunk with wine. The New Living Translation puts this verse so perfectly, I think. It says this in the NLT. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. That's well put. (laughs) That will ruin your life. I'm not here this morning to debate with you whether or not it's a a sin to take a drink of alcohol. There's time for deeper discussions on that. If you want to have them with me sometime, I'd love to. Not something I do, something I ever will do as far as I'm concerned. Um. I've just seen the destruction that not just alcohol, but any kind of substance can cause on lives and families. And so therefore, I choose to stay far away from it. It's my choice. And sure, the Bible does not say, do not ever drink one sip of alcohol. I really wish it did. As a pastor, that would be much easier. (laughs) But it's full of verses that say, like this one, that say very clearly, do not get drunk. Those are all over the place. This verse in Ephesians goes right along with Proverbs 20, verse 1, very descriptive. Wine is a mocker, 
and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. It's pretty direct. We were just saying that if we're going to follow Christ, then we must pursue wisdom. Ephesians tells us not to get drunk. Proverbs tells us that if we're led astray by alcohol, then we're not wise. So to me, the word of God says all over the place, uh, the word to seek after wisdom and understanding. There's many, many things that are enemies of wisdom and understanding. And drunkenness is one of those, so I'm not willing to entertain it. Like I said, taking a sip of alcohol doesn't make you drunk. I'm not saying that. It's not a sin to take a drink as far as I can see. But the choice is up to each person as how far up to the edge they want to tiptoe. And my experience is that alcohol is eventually destructive for most people, even if it's not immediately. And for me, I just choose not to take the risk. And that is, that's just the way I approach it. I can tell you what the Bible says. Those are a couple of verses, and they're in there over and over and over again, just so you know. But so importantly, it's not just, and we do this in the church too much, right? We focus on what we shouldn't do, and we don't talk about what we should do. It says, don't be drunk with wine, but... Man, don't forget about verse 18 and 19. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. This is such a powerful idea. Remember the Holy Spirit. We talked about this in men's Sunday school this morning. The Holy Spirit enters us and seals salvation in our hearts as soon as we accept Christ. What Paul is saying here is that it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that helps us keep our eyes focused on the Savior. It's the spirit that helps us follow in the middle of a turbulent world. Friends, I'm here to tell you, there's not a rule you could follow that will help you through this world. Jesus is the thing that can help you through this world. And Paul, he's not even referring just to the outward gifts of the Holy Spirit, for example, speaking in tongues. Although those gifts, they have to be an aspect of this verse, right? I don't think we can ignore the fact that it just said, uh, don't be drunk with wine. And in Acts 2, when the believers were filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, the people around them, they thought they were drunk in the morning. Right? So I don't think you can ignore the corollary there. But I think Paul is talking just as much here about the everyday guidance of the Spirit in our lives. Because let's look at verse 19 together. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot to me like what happens at church. So he's saying, hey, don't get drunk on wine. Don't do these things that the world thinks will fill you. Get together with the saints and sing songs instead. Now, that sounds a lot to me like when we have men's breakfast and we talk through uh, a passage of the Bible. We get to hear from Patrick, we've been talking through the Old Testament, uh, who lived in the Middle East for a while. Some super cool insight you don't get anywhere else. Sounds a lot like when we meet on Wednesday nights and we, look, we take the time to look at scripture and we take the time to put needs on the screen and pray together. What Paul's instructing us here to do is not to be legalistic, but to be wise and to take the space that we normally would fill with the things of this world or some types of, of substance or relationship or whatever. And instead, we fill that space with the things of the Lord. Fill that space with the things of the Lord, and we let the Spirit guide us. Every one of you, if you've accepted Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's what it says. So as we get ready to close this morning, let's look at this final sentence, the end of verse 19 and verse 20. 
sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a tangible way, friends, that we are filled with the Spirit, singing songs, giving thanks. Even if you happen to be struggling, even if, like we prayed earlier, man, it was a week you wish you wouldn't have had, giving thanks to the God of all good gifts. Because the word says every good and perfect gift comes from above. Giving thanks to the one who created us. It's incredibly calming. It's incredibly powerful. It's a key part of how we say to God, God, I will follow. I'm going to leave the old life behind. Instead, I'm going to walk into fellowship with other believers. I'm going to sing songs of praise. I will follow means that we make a decision to turn and we walk the other way. Remember, one step away, one step towards one thing is two steps away from where you were going. We decide that we're going to pursue wisdom. We, we hang out with people who are wise. We ask God for wisdom. We find our hope in Jesus. And we let the Spirit guide us. Friends, the things that uh, the Lord spoke to you during worship earlier today, when we were singing, I would encourage you, don't let go of those. We're going to sing together in a moment because that's what the Bible commands us to do. I encourage you, the things that God speaks, man, don't let go of those. We do all of these things, all of these things because we are the light. And as we come together, and in this moment, God's cranking up the brightness higher and higher and higher. So when we walk out of this place, people cannot help but notice. Today we're going to end by doing exactly what they did in verse 14. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this song. Uh, it's awesome that we chose this one. We're going to sing this song. Uh, the second one we sang, God So Loved. I love it because it is directly out of the scripture. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life.